This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and today I'm recording live from my home in Seattle. And right now, joining me via Zoom is Aaron Levy. He is the co-founder and CEO of the enterprise cloud company, Box. Aaron launched Box in 2005 in his college dorm room. And today, Box is a public company with almost $700 million in revenue and I think about a $3 billion market cap. Aaron, thanks for making the time to join me today. Thank you. And thank you for rounding up on our market cap. I, uh, I appreciate that one. Yeah, and I guess depending on how many decimals you're using, you can get to 100%. You can get to all sorts of great stuff. But anyways, before we start here, I did a ton of research, and I, I did look at your LinkedIn profile. And I have to say, it is one of the most interesting LinkedIn profiles I have because there's a, a brutal honesty to it where you actually point out that you dropped out of college. It's Dropped out of college and then CEO of Box for I think ten years now. Um, you know, actually, fifteen. Fifteen, yeah. Fifteen years, so kind of forever. So it's it's pretty impressive. And what I what I wanted to ask you about very specifically, and and I understand that you founded the company uh, with with Dylan, uh, 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 high school friend of yours, and I think childhood friend of yours. He managed to graduate from college, and I did want to ask you how that happened and how you worked that out. Maybe just share that story as a place to start here. Yeah, so um, we actually have, uh, we have two other co-founders. So, uh, so four of us started the company. We actually all grew up in, uh, in, in Seattle where you are now. And, um, and we went off to college um, uh, and we'd, we'd sort of stayed in touch and we were working on random business ideas all, all throughout college in, in different ways. And um, eventually we stumbled on the idea of Box and, um, uh, and so we all got back together we, we had some early success when we launched the, the site in 2005. Mark Cuban decided to invest in the, in the company, so he really got us our, our launch. And, uh, and then we dropped out of college in 2006. Um, and, uh, and it was you know, a pretty, pretty defining moment because that was when we were all in. And uh, we were just living and working and you know, doing the whole, the whole startup life. And, uh, and one day, we kind of got to a point where things were, were humming relatively well enough where uh, where my, my co-founder our CFO was uh, was able to go back to school finish up his degree in an accelerated um, period of time where he could still work remotely and um, and so uh, so he, he got his degree and um, the, the other three of us we all we're all technically drop out so uh, so he's he's the only one that could get a job again um, if uh, if this box thing doesn't work out but um, uh, we, <laughs> we still give him shit for it but um, uh, but uh, he came back pretty quickly and uh, was able to, to work in person again. But that was that was our first uh, first journey into uh, into remote work um, back in two thousand and seven. Yeah, well, I would guess that the the Duke development program, the people that come and ask their alumni for money, might have <laughs> might have helped a little bit. And somehow, I'm guessing that your friends at USC might have reached out to you and said there are some honorary degree opportunities that could be available <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, one of the things that I think is interesting about Box in particular is that you had this early focus on enterprise. And as part of that, you know, it, you, you really differentiated yourself that way. And I think 
you've really been at core more of an enterprise company. The, the real irony of it is, in my opinion, you are one of the most prolific CEOs on Twitter. And you have, I think, about 2.4 million followers. I think you've really done a great job of engaging there over time, which is something that, at least in my, my, my sense, is that tends to be somebody that's more of a consumer-focused branding sort of move. And what I'm curious about is, what is your strategy with Twitter and how do you interact with it? Maybe just talking about that a little bit. I'm just curious. Um, well, I, I, I hate to, uh, to to make this podcast super uninteresting, but um, not a great strategy. Um, I kind of just, um, you know, there's a little text box online and it asks you to tweet what's on your mind. And, and occasionally I, I have uh, things that are on my mind uh, about the, the tech industry and, uh, you know, things that, that, you know, I think are, are going right or going wrong. And, and, uh, and I try and throw those out there. And, um, and over time, I guess more people started to pay attention, but uh, there hasn't, it wasn't like a, I didn't have like a, a, a master plan on this whole thing. Um, I just really like the internet and, um, and I really like typing things into the internet. So, uh, so that, that was the only goal. Yeah, so does, how does it kind of work in your mind? Is it just so, something crosses your mind and then you open up the text box and you just fire away or I, I how probably, does it work? I, I probably have a certain degree of undiagnosed ADD, and um, and so just random thoughts occur, and um, and for whatever reason, I think the internet should hear about it, and uh, um, and then I, that's that's basically the only strategy there is, unfortunately. Yeah, well, beyond that, one of the things that I have noticed is you also get a lot of engagement from people there. There are a lot of people that comment. You can see the threads that come. You get a lot of likes. You get a ton of likes, actually. Uh, people clicking the heart button. Are there things that have happened or interactions you've had? through Twitter that have shaped the direction of Box or some of the things you've done where you're able to connect with people in a way that you wouldn't have connected without social media that have changed the course of the company? Well, I certainly get a ton of product feedback. And so, um, so there's, a, you know, on a daily basis, there's somebody, you know, suggesting feature ideas or problems they ran into. So it is a great way to be able to engage with customers. Uh, there's no question. And, and, um, and I use it as an opportunity to be able to have a direct line into customer conversations that normally you'd have to go set up a meeting and get on a call with somebody. So um, I, I certainly deeply appreciate it from that perspective. So anytime a, a customer reaches out and they have a feature request, um, if it's a good one, you know, tend to shoot it off to the team and say, Hey, why aren't we, why aren't we looking into this? But um, I don't have a, a, a single uh, feature that, um, uh, that, that kind of comes to mind, but my favorite Twitter interaction of all time, now that you bring it up, um, somehow I got into a, um, uh, I, I got into a, um, a, a bit of um, innuendo wordplay with uh, Snoop Dogg um, about uh, four or five years ago. And um, <laughs> that was my, uh, that was my, my favorite, uh, favorite Twitter moment um, where uh, there was a lot of stuff about hotboxing and, and clouds and, uh, and, and uh, whatnot going on in our conversation. Well, how did that unfold? Did you mention him or did he reach out to you and he used your handle, which is, as I understand it, at Levy. So it's at L-E-V-I-E. So yep. really sexy handle, by the way, <laughs> five characters. You got it early. You adopted early. But how did you find out that, that Snoop wanted to interact with you in such a public way? I suspect there's a chance that I, I uh, did a random tweet that happened to mention him. And, um, and for whatever reason, uh, my guess is that he was like, who the hell is this tech person, you know, bugging me right now? And, um, and that, that sort of prompted it. But uh, uh, that led to a very fruitful relationship. We actually had Snoop Dogg at our... Uh, at our customer conference a couple of years later uh, to do a set for us. Um, and so it turns out he's actually incredibly 
savvy on uh, on, on tech and startups. Um, but um, but it was a, a funny way to, to enter that relationship with uh, uh, with Snoop Dogg. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to SiriusXM 132 Business Radio. And I am chatting right now with Aaron Levy, the co-founder and CEO of Fox. So we were talking at the beginning about getting into work from home and spending time looking at the work from home kind of movement that's been forced upon everybody right now. And one of the things that I've thought about with Box, uh, actually, unfortunately, we are careers have kind of intertwined over time because I remember when you came in early on in your early days fundraising and we said no and you went on to build a $3 billion company and we lost out, is going into downtown Redwood City, which is along the peninsula in the Bay Area. It's one of the cities right in the middle of Silicon Valley and these buildings going and then the buildings went up and then up at the top, you see the sign that says box right next to the train station. So you had this real estate built out or, or however you, you worked it out right in the heart of Redwood City, right next to public transit. And this was, I think, a few years ago. And now you're in the middle of the shelter in place movement. So you've had this massive instant inability, I guess, to use those offices. What's it been like and how are how is Box working with it internally? And how do you think leading into this is going to affect on a more permanent basis how companies work from home. Yeah. Well, you know, f first of all, um, obviously this is a massively kind of tragic event economically and from a healthcare standpoint uh, for, for so many. And, and we, we try and take stock of the fact that we're in the very fortunate position where, you know, we provide enterprise software with a recurring revenue business model that, that lets us, you know, um, I think absorb some of the, the normal kind of economic shock and, and we have a, um, a, a product that directly serves customers in this environment. So we help companies be able to securely access and share files from anywhere on any device. So, so we're uniquely positioned um, to be able to support our customers during this time. And, um, and when, when Shelter-in-Place initially emerged uh, in the middle of March, we were able to very, very smoothly, very um, abruptly move to a work from home uh, strategy. We, we already run the business almost entirely in the cloud. We're on Zoom, we're on Slack, we're on uh, Okta. We obviously have all of our data in box. And so we could very quickly move to this new way of working uh, in a very seamless way. So, so sort of step one was adapt to this new environment as quickly as possible. That actually was way faster than, than I had even um, pictured initially. And then step two was how do we make sure that we set up our product and our company to be able to support our customers right now? And that's the mode that we've been in for the past couple of months. And that's really been can we pivot our product strategy and our product roadmap to support customers in a work from home mode? Can we make sure that we're serving our customers completely virtually in a very efficient way? But, um, but there's no question that, that even when offices are safe places and you can, you can go back in a very health uh, conscious way, um, there is something about this new way of working that will be with us effectively for forever. Um, and, and what I mean by that is not necessarily that we're going to all be stuck at our home offices you know, 24 seven, but the idea that, that, you know, there's going to be less business travel. We'll hop on a zoom call with our customers or our partners. Um, we're going to be able to collaborate in real time across our entire business instantaneously. Um, we're going to be able to do more virtual marketing and, and be able to reach more of our customers through digital platforms. I think those changes are actually going to outlast the, the healthcare and, and kind of pandemic challenges that we're dealing with because they just make more sense. And it requires a sort of shock to the system to have us all reevaluate what what 
work should look like um, and what this new normal was 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 really going to be able to, uh, to to kind of become. And, and that's that's I think the mode that we're all trying to figure out. So you know, as of uh, as of today, at least, Shopify, Twitter, Facebook have all announced that they're going to be having more permanent work from home um, uh, support for their employees. Um, you know, we have much of the same kind of movement uh, toward allowing for that flexible work pattern. And, uh, and I think this is here to stay. And this is, this is really going to be a very different way of, of working in the future. So on the product side, out of curiosity, were there a couple of things that were more on the back burner that you moved up and prioritized as part yeah. of this? Yeah, so, so literally right away, within a couple of days of, of the broad shift to work from home from our customer base, we saw in the data that, that there was a dramatic increase in the amount of collaboration and sharing happening on the platform and a huge increase in the usage of Box with other applications like Zoom and Slack and Teams and, and WebEx. So what that told us was instantaneously, we had to invest more in our collaboration features, the security around collaboration, the uh, annotations and user experiences. Oh, yeah, because the last thing you want to do is have somebody do some of the Zoom bombing crap that you've heard about and not just Zoom bombing and showing bad stuff, but actually going in and altering those documents because they got unsecure access to it. That would be, that would be very bad. So, uh, so we, we, uh, we really kind of focused our whole product roadmap for really the entire year on security and, um, and remote work enablement. So features that would let you integrate with Zoom better, features that would let you integrate with, um, with uh, Teams and Slack and, and other tools as well as features that would let you collaborate. So I was very pleased at the speed at which the, the company responded to this event, shifted our product investments, and, um, and we've already made uh, a, a series of product releases just in the past couple of weeks that were a result of that shift, and, and obviously way more to come throughout the year. One of the things that I've heard from people, talking to different people working in this environment is, they say on one hand, guess what? we're far more productive than we've been before. And I'm hearing that from people even after a month or two months, now that some of the initial shock of what's happened has worn off and people can focus on work or wanna focus on work. And that on one hand, there's higher productivity. On the other hand, creativity is more difficult than it was before because it's a lot harder to get everybody into a room, see the body language, do the types of things, pull out the quiet person that's actually really bright. What have you seen around that? Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard because anytime you can't do an AB test on creativity. Um, and so it's, it's, a little <laughs> of a, yeah. it's a little bit of a, you know, maybe an intuition that you might have that creativity has, has been challenged. I, I, I'm not in that camp at this stage and, 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 and I'm probably the most sort of in office creative, uh, oriented person in terms of like, let's get on a whiteboard, let's jump into a conference room. And that, that is a style of creativity. That's a style of ideation and, and collaboration. But it's also arbitrarily limited to the people that you can physically run into and the, the people that you happen to be kind of you know, proximate to. So what I've actually seen instead is that um, by going virtual, we've, we've actually pulled out better ideas and more ideas from people all throughout the business. Um, and so, so I think almost um, ironically, it's, it's, it's probably more inclusive of more voices because everybody is just a little square on the screen. And so the sort of normal dimensions of hierarchy and, and kind of whose position is whose um, uh, is maybe less relevant in this environment. I mean, if everybody's in a Slack channel and they're all just a little bubble, then, then it's way easier to share ideas and ask for the best feedback from anybody. Maybe somebody who's normally shy or maybe who's somebody who's a little bit more junior, they feel comfortable contributing because 
because there's not as much of that social pressure. They're not going to be, you know, this is not as serious of a, of a, of a situation when you're just kind of throwing out an idea in a, in a Slack channel. So, so I think it's actually probably been inclusive of more voices. And I think we've either maintained um, or at least gotten uh, different levels of creativity uh, from our organization. And I haven't seen a, I haven't seen us miss a beat on that front. We've, we've come up with many new feature ideas just in the past few weeks. So, so we are able to at least prove that we're, we're kind of humming on the innovation front. Well, one of the things I wonder about with some of these larger organizations is are what's it like to manage in this environment, number one. And I've got to believe that when you're managing a team that you're noticing that some people are actually better virtual work from home environment than they might have been in the physical environment and vice versa. And what can you what can you share around that in terms of what you've seen? Obviously, avoiding what could be a sensitive topic, but just kind of high level. Well, I think it's an interesting point of, of you know, to, to be able to uh, be effective in a physical environment, it, you know, it requires a certain set of characteristics and a certain set of, you know, maybe charisma and interaction levels that you have. To be successful in a virtual environment, you can probably benefit from all of those things. But at the same time, really what matters most is, you know, how, how strong are you on moving projects forward, on helping decisions get made, on bringing up the best of your team and sort of helping the best idea get generated. Those are, those are probably more universal characteristics that you'd want from, from your managers and your team leaders um, than maybe the ones that would just show up in a more kind of you know, physical social environment. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, think it's a, I, I think this is a huge boon for, for people that are, are you know, very, very effective, very decisive, great you know, bringing out the best ideas of teams. And then it throws away some of the maybe normal influences or biases you might have um, that, that might maybe would normally crop up in a, in a physical office environment. And I, I don't even, nothing even specifically comes to mind, but I do think that when you work virtually, it, it's an environment where speed wins, great ideas win, um, and, and you know, how, how projects can move forward and what's the most effective manner. Those, those usually are the winning characteristics of a manager or a leader in this type of environment. Yeah, no, that's really helpful perspective. And if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM Business Radio, Channel 132. And I'm here chatting right now with Aaron Levy, the co-founder and CEO of Box. So how do you hire in this environment? Have you been in hiring in this environment? And what's that like? Yeah, we, we have, and um, I've already done now three um, onboarding sessions of our remote and um, and virtual new hiring classes, and it's um, you know it's it's I'm sure been unusual for that group of of individuals because many of them were hired before the pandemic started, so they probably thought they're entering the organization at one phase in the in the business, and now they're they're you know coming in with a, a pretty altered environment, and um, but but. Overall, I mean, the interaction, the engagement, the, the, and I do a Q&A session every, every new hire class. Um, it is, it's again, an environment where you can kind of draw out more from people because it's just easier to throw in a, a text in a chat box uh, than it is to sort of, you know, say, okay, I'm gonna go, you know, speak my idea in front of 50 people um, where everybody's gonna, you know, kind of, um, you know, judge me on that. And, um, and I think it's, uh, it's an environment right now that, that is working well in terms of remote hiring and remote onboarding. And, uh, and, and I think that can remain very effective. Have you promoted anybody yet virtually? Um, I, I, um, I, we, we happen to just be out of cycle on promotions. So we, we did our promotions at the beginning of the year, but um, I'm sure that there's maybe a couple of folks that, that have uh, been promoted one off, but, uh, but uh, I'll, maybe we'll do a check-in in six months and I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. It's when you think about 
promotions and you think about people moving along their career, I wonder if the rules or the guidelines change a bit, not necessarily in terms of performance, but in terms of how that is done, if you truly have a virtual workforce. So if you think about the what Twitter, where Twitter is headed and Shopify and what you're working through right now, how do you think about that? Are there any softer skills that people may not be paying as much attention to that are important to moving ahead and making a positive impact in an organization? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, um, you know, kind of almost back to that manager point, you know, in a physical office environment, you're obviously very, um, uh, you're very dependent on, you know, personality and what's the strength of, of, of a personality and how much conviction can somebody have and bring the team along, which is an amazing and important skill and, and well needed even virtually. But again, when you move to virtual, when you, when you move to remote, when you become distributed, I think it really is the power of the idea and the power of your ability to move a team along through just great execution. And so I think the kind of people that, that get promoted might be different. I think it might be more inclusive um, uh, to more personality types. So I, I'm, I'm excited about what, what, that can, um, what, what that can turn into in terms of workplace culture and, and overall the health of the organization. Another thing I wonder about is if you're coming out of college right now or you're early in your career, how do you think about building your network when there aren't networking events? Are there new networking events that are coming? Do you reach out to people? Do you make more of a point of catching up with people every quarter or something? You get a Zoom call on the calendar. How do you do that? Yeah, I, 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 these are the unknowns right now. I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're probably in the camp of, if you, if you imagine the spectrum and that spectrum on one end of the spectrum is, is everything goes back exactly like it was before March um, at some point. And that means that very office-centric cultures, very kind of campus-centric cultures, um, or you take the other end of the extreme and you look at maybe automatic or, um, or GitLab, you know, fully virtual, fully distributed organizations, I think the reality is we probably end up with a hybrid where we take in the best of, of being digital, the best of a digital workplace, and um, and and uh, but that mixes the physical office environment with people that work remotely, with more office, like with more working home flexibility, with more flexibility on the hours that you work. So, so I, I you know I think we can, I think there's a chance in this rare circumstance where we can have our cake needed too where the people that want to be a part of an office culture can, maybe people more early in their careers, they want to network more, they want to have more of that sort of physical social interaction, but not give up the advantages of being virtual, where you can hop on a video call with a customer in 10 minutes, where you can get on an all hands with your entire company and 2000 people can participate as opposed to the normal event, which is very much one direction, you know, unidirectional in, 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 in terms of just presenting uh, to, to, uh, to people that you're talking to. So, so I think we can take the benefits of virtual and blend it with an office um, uh, as well with just a higher degree of, of flexibility on where people work from. And that's, that's kind of the vision that, that we imagine for, for most businesses. One of the things I'm curious about is what is the impact on your average engineer or your average person working their way through a career, say in tech or in established industry in more of a work from home environment? What does it mean for your economics, et cetera? So if a company in Silicon Valley, if it's a lot easier to hire outside of Silicon Valley, do you pay Silicon Valley salaries, number one, to somebody that's in Nebraska where their cost of living is different and their situation is different? What does it mean in terms of your ability to compete 
for the best jobs. If you're an engineer where geography may or may not be as important as it was before and your willingness to tolerate the commutes in Silicon Valley, how do you see that unfolding over time? And then also, do you think that California loses some of its competitive advantage for the best talent, people moving to it in one area, when you have perhaps the cost of housing and the tax situation, which is 10 to 13% for people on their incomes living in California, if they're doing their work virtually anyways? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's certainly, um, uh, I think it's certainly a dent in the in the sort of allure of the valley um, as a as from a geographic standpoint. I think this gives people the opportunity to be able to work from anywhere and be able to be competitive for 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 Silicon Valley jobs, which which on the margin was was harder um, uh, previously before remote work. I mean, you know, we've largely all built out hubs in places like Austin and Boston and New York and Chicago, but. But to truly be able to get to every city in the country or world, that's that's game changing in terms of the the impact that can have on on mobility of, of your talent. So so I think it's um I, you know I think it's a uh, I, I think it's a, a great thing all around. I, I can't think of a single negative. I think being able to let people work from from different states and different cities and again whether you pay them the same or not, I, I think that might be a little bit of a red herring because because the dollars go so much farther you know regardless. Um, and um, and I think they definitely go a lot farther in Seattle than they do in the Bay Area. <laughs> Even right. as much as people complain about things in Seattle, it's a lot cheaper. It's um, no, it's uh, it's it's incredible what you know what we've done with housing um, at, you know, in the Valley uh, to just artificially constrain supply of housing and then make everything just become more expensive. I mean, the the, the classic joke of you know venture capitalists are basically um you know subsidizing you know rent and 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 uh and cost of living in the valley it's no joke it's yeah. the reality yeah, i mean everybody yeah. laughs it's nervous laughter it's the same thing that happens when you go into the therapist's office and you start right. to laugh it's because you're talking about uncomfortable truths right you know that's the reality it is funding it so i wonder whether from a california point of view california and the bay area in particular is going to find that this is actually the shock to the system that's very different than what's happened before. Because when you have the housing issue, the tax situation, and you're looking at states like Texas and Washington and Florida and others that are much lower tax, then you, I think people really start to ask, well, why am I in the if I can't go all the ancillary benefits of networking that I would have had before? I, I think that's I think that's right, and I think um, I mean maybe maybe you know when you're in the first couple of years of your career, you still come to an office hub, um, but over time you can you know work more remotely. I think there might be that kind of flexibility, but I do think that um, I, you know I, I I don't necessarily know I'd want to be super long on California real estate uh, at the moment. I, I do think we need to kind of bring things down a bit. You're just tuning in. I'm Rob Cottybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132. Business Radio. I am chatting right now with Aaron Levy, the co-founder and CEO of Box. So we just talked about San Francisco and some of that impact. What do you think about the impact on other hubs like Seattle? Seattle in particular, maybe I'm a little biased. I moved up here because I want to live up. But you do have Microsoft and Amazon that are thriving in the pandemic right now. Yes, people are working from home. What do you think happens with regions like that? Do you think it stays in net neutral? Do you think it's a net positive? 
Um, I, I, I think it's um, I think it's probably neutral um, because you didn't have the extreme exorbitant cost of living. Um, I, I think that emerged in Seattle, um, and um, and just mostly I think because of the volume of companies. So obviously, you know, two of the largest companies on the planet are in Seattle, but but you don't have the 500 startups that, that are all you know kind of uh, heavily funded by venture capitalists, all raising the you know the prices of everything. So so that that's probably a good thing um, ultimately for the the Seattle market, but. Um, but you know, I think, and then I, I think the, the big question next is kind of what happens in the startup ecosystem, and 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 what what does this mean for being a startup? Not just from work from home, but this entire environment that we're in. You know, what type of startups succeed and are better off now? Which ones are are maybe impacted? And there's a whole bunch of open questions on on that front as well. Yeah, well, there's some that are really positively impacted, and that's in say fitness or telemedicine. We're investors in Doctor on Demand. That's doing really well as a result of this. Investors in Tonal, which is basically Peloton for strength training, they're up uh, three to four X ahead of plan for the wow. year. And at the same time, you find companies that are struggling through it, but investing at the series A stage is very challenging right now because you have the question of, are you gonna get to product market fit? But the bigger question is you have that risk still there, but you have this macro question of, when are things going to change and when will people start buying again in this category? And that's the part that's really hard to price. And what we're seeing in seed and series A is it's driving the valuations down. And in some cases, the valuations go down so far that you can't get it done because it's just not worth financing. It's not worth the founder's time either. Yeah, I, I, uh, I you know, I think it's, 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 kind of crazy because you basically have every you basically have you know pre-march 12th or whatever the date is that the entire sector of startups and then you have post-march 12th and and there's some set of companies that that were in the pre-march 12th you know batch that can quickly pivot their their position and and you know kind of become relevant for for the new era that we're in there are those that obviously are going to be in in such a sort of systemically affected industry that maybe it'll be It'll be just hard to, to kind of make that work. And then you've got sort of this post-March 12th batch, which is, you know, new companies emerging to go solve all the net new problems that have just emerged that sort of say, imagine that the world just hit reset on how things work. And our social behaviors and our work behaviors have changed now in a, in a, in a way that, that we're not going to unwind. And what, what new problems emerge in that world that, that startups, whether they've existed previously or get created now, can go out and solve. And so, you know, I'm, I'm relatively bullish overall on, on, on the idea of startups, but when you get to the specifics is, is really where it matters of, of who can pivot, you know, who can outrun this, uh, this environment. Yeah, well, we only have a couple minutes, but I do have one important question for you. And I, I never thought that I would have longer hair than you. <laughs> and we're on video right now and, and clearly you're getting your haircut. And I'm curious, how are you getting your haircut? How are you doing it? How are you getting it done? Um, my, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I have any, uh, uh, any leverage, uh, uh, or, or not, but somehow my, uh, my wife has agreed to, uh, being willing to cut my hair and, um, it's been quite an endeavor. Um, I actually think she's, she's been able to pull it off pretty, pretty effectively, but um, I'm not the best, um, uh, hair, haircut patron, um, as it were, because my head's like shaking. And I'm, I'm did you already have the tools? Were the tools available or did you have to go on eBay and pay some exorbitant price to get some haircutting? We had, to, we had to procure some tools net new uh, uh, in this experience, but we, we got some good scissors. We got some good, you know, trimmer. And uh, uh, so far it's worked out okay. Minus uh, she did stab her finger last weekend. So 
that's the only Ooh. thing we're still trying to figure out. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is have to go into an ER right now. For, yeah. for myself anyways, I'm holding out. I'm going to see what happens if I let my hair grow out. So basically, I'm going to keep it until there's a vaccine. So it means I may look end up looking like Howard Stern. I don't know, but I'm going to just let it, let it go. Know, I am trimming the sideburns, though. I am doing that. You'll fit right in in Seattle. Don't worry. <laughs> well, the fit in in Seattle, to be really clear, I think I need to go make a visit to the tattoo parlor, and those are still off limits as near as I can tell. Although I've heard in some states like Texas, it's in essential industry. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining Good me job. today. Yeah. And uh, if you want to follow uh, Aaron, you've got to go follow him on Twitter at Levy. It's at L-E-V-I-E. Thanks again. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 